What a wonderful blessing it is that we have as God's people the, the privilege of ending a year around the communion table or beginning the year around the communion table, however, however you choose to look at that. And for our thinking before we come to the bread and the cup, I want us to just allow the time that we have been spending considering our King's invitation in Matthew's gospel to inform us as we approach the communion table. What, what is the invitation of King Jesus? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus gives us rest from all of our striving to justify ourselves before God. All who are weary of carrying around their own guilt before God, all who are heavy laden with the burden of trying and toiling to be at peace with God, we, we can lay that down, that, that, that hopeless and helpless performance, and simply rest in Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And that passage we just heard from Philippians reminds us what Christ has done that we, we might come to him. It's an echo of Christmas, isn't it? Philippians 2. Such a familiar passage. Turns out Christmas is all over the Bible. God the Son has left the glory of his heaven and he has set aside his divine privileges, come into our world as human as you are, me too, yet without sin. And Christ emptied himself of all that he was owed from us as God. Jesus did this. And he became a willing slave to the Father, glorifying the Father in every thought, every, every deed, every motive. The emotions of Jesus were pure and only glorified God. Gladly suffering the rejection of his own people obeying to the point of death on the cross. We sang that, didn't we? The humble king, they named a fraud and sacrificed the lamb of God. And his death is the only death sufficient to secure your forgiveness, my forgiveness. His death is the only death sufficient to satisfy the justice of God for my sin, for your sin. His death is the only death sufficient to give us freely the assurance of God's favor. I wonder 
today, do you live with a sense of God's favor? That he loves you? That he's for you? And, and if you can say yes to that in your heart, it, it, it's only because of this work of Christ for you that this is so. So that today we have a risen and highly exalted Savior and King who still invites his people today. Come to me, says the Lamb who is our King. Trust, trust in him. Rest in him. The communion table remembers this. The, the, the communion table celebrates this. And, and just for the sake of clarity, I want to say now, who can rightly remember Jesus in this way? Only those who are trusting in him. Only those who have, by God's grace, come to him in simple faith and are resting in his sufficiency. Those of you who are not followers of the king, who are not trusting in Jesus, uh, he, he says to you still today, come to me. Come to me. Who can celebrate? All those who know this rest of soul, the, the, this wellness of soul by, by simple faith in Jesus. And, and in case you're wondering, I can see it on some of your faces. Why is he belaboring this? Do you realize the scripture tells us to? The scripture tells us to examine ourselves before we take the bread and the cup that we're not to come to the Lord's table hastily. Or we're not to come to the Lord's table with a, I already know that stuff, mindset. We're not to come to the Lord's table in, in some perfunctory manner. But with introspection, helped by the Holy Spirit, with joy, a gift of the Spirit. And so I want to encourage us to do that now. Let's just take a moment, a quiet reflection, our own hearts before God. Let's pour out some gratitude to our King who became a lamb for us. And certainly, let's confess any sin that might be interfering with our enjoyment of this salvation that is ours. We, we want to remember our Lord in a worthy manner. Let's do that now.
Jesus, we come to you this morning. Each of us, your people, insufficient and needy within ourselves. And we come to celebrate your sufficiency for us. We, we come to celebrate and remember your perfect life lived for us. We remember the cost of our sin to you, your death on the cross, you taking the condemnation we deserve as our substitute. We rejoice that when you declared from your cross it is finished, it really is. The veil has been torn in two. You have reconciled us to our creator. And so Jesus, in this remembrance, we say we love you. Even as we desire to love you more. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to magnify yourself. I pray that you would use this time to extend your invitation to those who've come here today apart from you. Lord, that they would have grace to come to you in faith. And Lord, I pray that you would use this time to encourage your people, strengthen your people. Jesus, we pray. And we ask this for your name's sake. Amen. The scripture says that when Jesus was having that last Passover meal with his disciples, he took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it. And giving it to the disciples, Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What a reminder. Every time we come to the Lord's table, friends, um, the, the king who's coming, we just celebrate, celebrated, the king is coming again. And it's our privilege to live in the direction of his coming again. Amen? The The... The, the text we're considering this morning uh, for the sermon is familiar to you. We're in Matthew 11. And Jesus provides in Matthew 11 instruction for his followers answering this question, well, how, how, how are we to go about waiting for the king's return. How, how exactly do we proclaim his death until his coming, as, as Paul says to the Corinthians? 
Jesus reassures us uh, that to be attached to him, to be yoked to him by faith, is to step into this life that God has for us as his people. Jesus simply says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and you have to come to the scriptures wondering, how, how is this so? How is it that the Christian life the life spent yoked to Jesus, easy. It, is it a life without difficulties and dangers and sorrows? Of course it isn't. Of course it isn't. Is, is it a life that requires very little from us? It may, maybe that's what Jesus means. No, no. What, what does he mean when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Well, well Jesus can't mean um, that it's all easy sledding and, and, and cake and ice cream uh, until he returns because he has already told us in Matthew's gospel that, that to belong to the kingdom is to have entered through a narrow gate and having entered through that narrow gate to have been set upon a, a difficult way, a constricted way that leads to light. For the gate is narrow, Jesus says, and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Remember, the, the, the gate into the kingdom of heaven is as narrow as the cross of Jesus. It's, it's as narrow as repentance and faith in the sufficiency of our sin-bearing king, Jesus, who, who then sets us on uh, a constricted way, a, a narrow way, a difficult way, some of your Bibles say, the way of obedience that avoids both license on the one hand and legalism on the other hand. It's a narrow way, the way of living for our king. And that hardly sounds easy. What does Jesus mean then when he says, my, my yoke is easy? We saw in Matthew 10, for example, that to follow Jesus is to be sent out into the world as sheep in the midst of wolves. Remember that? Please tell me you remember that. It wasn't that long ago. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Wolves are fast and cunning. Sheep, not so much. Uh, the sheep are slow and, by comparison, and frankly, not all that bright. Um, and, and, and Jesus says, oh, by the way, you're the sheep. And I, I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. This is a deliberate thing. Does, does that sound easy? And what of our burden? Well, Jesus has said to his people, uh, in Matthew's gospel, as the world opposes the king, so the world opposes his people. Um, organized religion despises Christ's true followers. Government authority often despises Christ's true followers. And, and lest we think that opposition to us as the king's people is, is sort of generic and impersonal and distant. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 
a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And I would submit to you um, that none of that sounds easy. So it would be perfectly appropriate for us to just slow down a bit and ask ourselves and trust the Holy Spirit to teach us, how can Jesus now say to his people, my yoke is easy, my burden is light? And so, so just one last time, I want us to just take this verse in its context. We're going to look at verses 25 through 30. For the sake of context, and then we'll just squeeze those last few words. Remember, Jesus has been rejected by the Jewish people of Galilee, religious people, you might say, church people. Um, And Jesus has then pronounced judgment on uh, the cities and, and towns that have rejected him. But, but notice that Jesus handles rejection so much differently than you or I. He handles it with praise to the Father. Look at verse 25. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. That right there, friends, is the sovereignty of God in salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. People do not save themselves. God saves people. Jesus saves people. Call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Not all people, his people. This is God's sovereignty and salvation. What what is the part um, that I have to respond to? Well, Jesus says in the very next breath, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Is your soul at rest? I mean, does your conscience testify this morning that you're at rest, you're at peace with God? For my yoke is easy, says the king, and my, my burden is light. Remember, those weary and heavy laden are this way because they've been working really hard to make themselves right with God. If, if they just keep enough rules that explain to them the Ten Commandments, hundreds and hundreds of rules that were their own measure of keeping God's moral law, then, then surely they would be right with God. And, and, and the problem is what? You, just, you can't even keep your own rules, let alone God's moral law. The scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day had placed this impossible burden on his people, a heavy heavy burden of religious rule-keeping that they themselves did not keep. In fact, they didn't even want to keep. 
Jesus says in Matthew 23, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Legalism doesn't make anybody holy. But remember, it will do a fine job of making anyone a hypocrite, a pretense, just going through the motions. And trying to do something difficult is, is wearisome enough, but trying to do the impossible without even desiring to do it, well, it's, it's just a hopeless thing. And Jesus says, that's the scribes and the Pharisees. That is the burden they had placed on God's people. And Jesus has graciously removed that particular yoke and its bondage. He has perfectly kept God's law for us, hasn't he? He has permanently credited to his people's account his own righteousness. This is the only way we have rest. He has taken upon himself what we just remembered at communion, the wrath of God, satisfied in the sacrifice of the Son, the shed blood of the Son. And in removing that, that yoke of legalism, removing that impossible bondage of trying to earn God's favor ourselves, notice that Christ places on us another yoke, his own. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says in, in verse 29, to be saved, um, to be a Christian, is to be yoked to Christ. You say, well, I never really thought of it that way. You should start thinking of it that way. To come to Christ for salvation is to come under Christ's direction for your daily living. This is good news. All who come to Christ come under Christ. And Jesus says, learn from him. Learn from me, he says. He's no cruel taskmaster. He's not cold and dispassionate toward his people. He's gentle. And he's humble. He's lowly. He stoops all the way down to you and your precise needs in your life as one of his people. He, he gladly condescends to attach you to himself so that all that is his is yours. Isn't that amazing? But listen, think of a yoke. All that is yours is also his. You're attached to him. He's the king. Charles Spurgeon put it this way in his commentary on Matthew. He said, The service of the meek and lowly Christ is no child's play. There is a yoke that is to be borne by all his disciples, and the neck of self-will must be bent low to receive it. Christ delights to have sinners get off the throne of their own hearts so that your heart, your life can be ruled, can be reigned over the way it was created to be ruled and reigned over by another, by God himself, by Christ our King. 
And, and, and it's this, this yoke of, of verse 30 uh, that we need to understand this morning. Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think of, think of the simplicity of this, this picture Jesus is painting with words. In, in many parts of the world still today, including places in America, People use yokes to enable them to carry heavy, you know, sometimes awkward loads. Think of, you know, water, um, grain, soil, that kind of stuff. And, and, and the yoke is uniquely fitted for each person. The same is true in places where, where oxen are, are yoked together. That, that yoke might, might begin with kind of a standard shape, but, but, but then it is precisely fitted. The, the oxen are brought in, I'm told, and they're, they're measured and a yoke is made, but then they're brought in again for the fitting. It's very precise, this yoke. And Jesus is using imagery here in Matthew 11 that his, his first listeners would have been extremely familiar with. Christ's yoke is personal in that way. It, it speaks of closeness. It speaks of a, a well-fitting attachment to Christ. Take my yoke upon you, says Jesus. That, that's the yoke that is easy. He's not calling you to live somebody else's life. He's not calling you to live the life you imagine for yourself. He's calling you to live the life that he and his infinite wisdom has ordained for you. And you draw near to him. His yoke is specifically fit for you, the, the life God intends for you to live for his glory. Listen, what God said to his prophet Jeremiah way, way, way back then is, is, is true for all of God's people. God said this to, to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the innermost parts, I knew you. And before you came out from the womb, I set you apart. Now, just think about that. Do you suppose God knows what's going on in your life? Do you suppose he knew before you were born the plans that he had for you? Do you suppose he already knows what you do not know, and that is what's around the corner? And so your hope in all of this is attachment to him. This yoke is, is specific to you, personal to you in that sense. This well-fitting yoke. He, he's the one who even directs your kingdom labors for him. Mine too. Your role, my role, my job, if you want to put it that way, uh, is willing attachment. And closeness. What's, what's the secret to success by God's measure in any new year? Closeness to Jesus. Relational attachment to Jesus. Abide in me, Jesus says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You, you, you've come to Christ, and all who come to Christ come under his rule under his yoke, it, it's, it's to do with, with closeness. It's to do with abiding. It's, this, is, this yoke is personal. 
It's personal. And not only is Christ's yoke personal, you're still listening. It's, it's also purposeful. It's purposeful. Remember last Lord's Day, we, we um, or actually I did and nobody disagreed, so I'm just going with this, um, mentioned that the, what happens when animals are yoked, the inexperienced, the, um, the weak, the, the unknowing ox is yoked to the experienced, wise, strong ox for what purpose? To learn. The weak one isn't going to do all the work. There's no hope of that. The weak one isn't always going to understand fully the work as it's being done. But the weak one is attached to the strong one to learn what? Submission. To learn willingness. Specifically, yielding the will to the one who's actually leading. To to the one who's actually able to lead and accomplish the labor. And so as soon as you forget your position as the subordinate one, you're hearing this, as soon as you forget your position as the learner, when, when you go your own way, just picture what that might look like. You live by your own imagined wisdom. You live by that, that motto we all tend to go back to, I've got this thing, you know. Um, you begin to chafe under the yoke of Christ. And that discomfort in your conscience is actually a gift from God. He's saying, hey, remember the strong one? Remember the wise one? Remember the one who actually knows where we're going? You're you're attached to me. My yoke is easy. Yours, not so much. And it could be, friend, that, that a takeaway for you this morning I know it has been for me at times, is just that weightiness in conscience, that burden of conscience is, is telling us that we have um, drifted the way of self-rule and, and, and self-direction. And the thing of it is, is our, our divinely activated conscience won't let us get away with that. That's a gift from God. We're, we're, meant, to, we're, we're meant to get back in step and, and remember who we're yoked to. Um, this is not new to us. This is precisely what happened to God's people, Israel, in Moses' day. Listen to Leviticus 26. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. Liberty. Liberty to serve God. Liberty to worship God. What happened? Well, well, no sooner had God liberated his people from Egypt, they began to prefer self-rule. They began to prefer their own way. Exodus 32, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. And doesn't it seem to you that God still says this of some of his people today. I I have seen this. 
And this is a stiff-necked people. Meaning what? You, just, you won't take the yoke. Proverbs 13, 15 says this, The way of the transgressors is hard. Now notice the contrast. Jesus says, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The way of the transgressors is hard. It's hard to live knowing that you're resisting the way of your master. It, it, it's hard uh, carrying the burden of a troubled conscience. It's hard to live independent of his yoke to go your own way. And, you know, I'm just spitballing here, but I'm guessing an awful lot of us know this by experience. And, and some of you, um, dear ones, you're, you're experiencing this right now. Christ's yoke is personal, it's purposeful, and it's also productive. And I, and I know what you're thinking. That's, that's really nice. The, all of the words start with the letter P, and um, that's how you know the pastor has spent sufficient time in study, isn't it? Um, it's just that it might help us remember is all. My yoke is easy, says the king, and my burden is light. You circle that word easy in your Bible or the person's next to you. That simply means manageable. It means fit for use. It's not to do with not ever having any difficulties. It's not to do with being called to something you can do in your own strength. Jesus says, your attachment to me and the direction we go, the life that we live is manageable and fit for use because of your attachment to me. The kingdom life you are called to live, uh, the, the privilege to live, uh, really is manageable because you're yoked to the strong one. You're yoked to the wise one. Uh, you're yoked to the one who has promised to um, complete or, or um, fulfill the work, perfect the work that he's begun in you when he saved you. You keep squeezing that word easy just a little bit more and you find that it implies that a change has occurred or, or is yet occurring. The yoke has been made easy. The yoke is being made easy. You have been Christian and are being changed so that your repentant heart now desires to walk in God's ways, doesn't it? Now, you don't do that as you... As you want to but you have a new heart that loves God you have a new heart that wants to live in the direction of his leading by his word by the spirit the promise of Ezekiel 36 has been fulfilled in you you who are Christians God says what I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to do my judgments. It is not simply that Jesus is next to you in this yoke. He lives within you by his spirit. 
And, and so Christ's yoke is easy because it is a yoke of new desires that are fully enabled. When the Christian looks at the, 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 the commands of God, for example, the Christian can no longer say, I can't do that. In fact, the Christian is being more honest if he or she will just say, I won't do that. I won't do that. I mean, at least be honest about it. Because Christ in you, you who are attached to him wearing his yoke under his yoke, have everything you need, me too, to live the life he's called us to live. The Spirit energizes us to follow Christ. The, the, the Spirit energizes us to, to keep God's commandments, uh, which are a reflection of his holy nature, the image of God we're meant to reflect in the world. The Spirit enables us to remain Christ-centered rather than self-centered. And, and, and what is our part? What do we do? Why, why is it easy? Well, Jesus says your, your role is, is to simply submit. So submit to my leading. Learn from me, you who are under my yoke. L- listen to Christ's own description of what happens to you when you're yoked to him through repentance and faith. John 14, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, that he may be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, he abides with you and will be in you. You you never have to pray, Christian, Lord, be with me. Oh, he's with you. He's in you. And then Jesus says in verse 26, same chapter, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That word advocate, some of your Bibles, helper, some of your Bibles, comforter. And you think, well, which is, which is it? it it's, a, it's a Greek word that kind of transcends translation in a sense. It, comforter sometimes. The, the Greek word paraclete, you know, one who comes alongside. This is the spirit of Christ himself attached to you in favor, in enablement, in protection, in provision. All that is necessary for the life that he calls you and calls me to live. Now, I just want to, um, I know none of you are in a big hurry. So I want to spend just a little bit of time just sort of cherry picking what is ours as we're attached to Christ. The Holy Spirit, the scripture says, imparts wisdom. Listen to this promise from God. How many of you need wisdom for the coming year? You didn't even have to raise your hand, but I'm glad you did. I'm glad you outed yourself. The thing of it is, is most of us need wisdom to understand the year we just finished, right? Of course we need wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. What a a gift this is. The Spirit comes alongside to impart strength. God will call you to things that you are incapable of this year. And his answer to your I can't is what? 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The enabler, the comforter, the advocate is in you. The Spirit comes to provide real victory in my battle with temptation. Do any of you guys battle with temptation? Don't make eye contact. Don't, and don't look around. Of course we do. Of course we do. It's just it's not super churchy, so we don't talk about it. Do you realize that you battle temptation towards sin from the high ground of Christ's victory over temptation? Do you realize this? Not, not from the low ground of one who is destined to always lose and just remain defeated, but from the high ground of a victory that's already been won. And so the scripture comes to us and says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Do you think this has anything to do with attachment to Christ? It, it's descriptive of your ability as you're attached to him, not, not apart from him or ignoring him. What else do I have as one who is yoked to Christ? The Spirit shores me up, bolsters my faith in times of doubt. Do you ever have doubts? I mean, spiritual doubts. Again, we don't talk about this very much. But we just spent time in Matthew 11 being reminded that one of the early churches, I guess I should say the last Old Testament prophet, perhaps experienced doubt. Are you the one? Should we look for someone else? Or maybe it was his disciples who had experienced the doubt. It really doesn't matter. Men who saw Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh, they had doubts. And what does the scripture say? Romans 8, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Praise God for this. And if children also heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Hallelujah indeed. The Spirit even empowers me to represent Christ in this messed up world and to make disciples in Hayden and Coeur d'Alene. And some of you who live in, in third world areas, I'm talking about Spirit Lake and, and even north of there, um, God says, go and make disciples. And, and you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I can't do that. Well, good, that settles it. You can't. He can. And he says what to you in his word? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. See, you're not even get to decide whether you're a witness or not. It's just what, what kind of witness are you? Christ's yoke is easy as his people submit to his leading and are empowered to walk in his ways. You see, there's a context here. 
This easy yoke is, is not easy in the, in, in the sense that we do nothing. It's not easy in the sense that the way of the kingdom demands nothing of us. It, Jesus has already taught us that it demands much. It's easy in the sense that a change has occurred within us. Uh, God, pleased as man with men to dwell, now dwells within his people by his spirit, and we lack nothing. We lack nothing. My yoke is easy, says Jesus, and my burden is light. We'll end with that, but not right away. Don't pack up. What is the burden of Christ? The burden of Christ. Well, remember, remember the oxen, the weak one attached to the strong one, the not-so-wise one attached to the wise one. You, you get the idea. And yet, both going in the same direction. So think of the life of God the Son in his humanity. Christ only lived for the glory of the Father. Um, that's where he's taking you. Christ fully obeyed God's law from a willing heart. That's what he's leading you to do. You'll not do it perfectly, but that's, that's, the, that's the row you're hoeing, so to speak, in attachment to Jesus. Christ manifested God to fallen people wherever he went, and how many of you know he intends to use his people this way? And no, you're not up to it, but he is. And I, and I want us to just think about, in, in, in wrapping this up here, what is it that, that really energizes this from an experiential standpoint? You're, you're yoked to him by love. His love for you, that's already been settled. You say, well, I don't always feel loved by God. It's not to do with feelings. You say, well, I, I don't deserve to be. You could never deserve to be loved by him. You are yoked to him by his love for you and, and by the gracious work of the Spirit, your love toward him. Do you love Jesus? Of course you do. You who know him, though, though you desire to love him more. And, and, it's, and it's the Spirit of Christ living inside you in this relationship of covenant love, reciprocal love, that makes all of this possible. John the Apostle put it this way, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. How are they not burdensome? Because we love our king. We love our Jesus. Think, think of it this way. I'm certain that in our church family, there were parents or may, maybe even grandparents who stayed up late Christmas Eve, or maybe you did it, you know, some night before Christmas Eve, the, the little ones are in bed uh, because you needed to deal with a parent's, I mean, these are, these are the, the worst three words for parents of young kids, some assembly required. <laughs> And everybody knows that, and you're so excited with that gift, and, it, and Amazon brings it, and, and you see those words, and your, your heart just sinks, doesn't it? 
But, but here's the thing. You stay up late and you put that dollhouse together. You, you put that bicycle together. I mean, who knew there were that many parts in a bicycle? Am I right? And um, you'll be with them shortly, <laughs> real shortly. And, and, but the thing of it, I mean, think of how simple this is. Why do you do that? For love's sake. It's not burdensome to you. You delight to do it as you're muttering about the instructions and that sort of thing. Listen, the, the, the burden of attachment to Christ is made light. His, the sacrifices he calls his people to are made light when love for him flourishes. Do you know that one, one of the goals we could aim for in this coming year before we get to the stuff, you know, I want to do all this and I want to stop doing all that. Um, Lord, help me nurture my love for you. Help me fall deeper in love with you B- because it's love toward Christ that lightens any sense of burden we might feel as we learn from him, as we as we. Go the way he calls us to go. Love between Christ and his people lightens the burden of following him. Success, then, for the believer is found in not gutting it out. You know, just gutting it out, trying really hard. That's going to last about a month, maybe. I mean, just ask the people who own health clubs. Um, like early February, how's it going? Business is down, right? You can, you can only gut it out so long. You might maybe think of it this way. It, it, it's the difference between um, a hobby and work. I mean, think of what you're willing to do for a hobby that you love. I mean, I, I know men and women who will drive more hours to their fishing hole then they will spend fishing at that fishing hole. And, and nobody forces them to do it, as far as I know. They, they, they just love to do it. And, and the same is true for those of you who, um, I, I want to say weaving, but it's not, quilting, quilting, see? You, you, you love to do that. The hours just kind of fly by most of the time. Eight hours in the sun, weeding your yard feels a lot different than eight hours in the sun golfing for some of you. But this, is, this is not complicated stuff. Love lightens the burden. So, so that even when Christ's yoke takes you into a rough field of sorrows, as it has for, for many this year, even when Christ's yoke uh, leads you into um, things that were outside of what you thought you'd be doing with your life that sometimes happen. His love constrains us, and, and Christ's love sustains us. That same word light in Matthew 11.30 appears in 2 Corinthians 4, I think in a wonderful way. Let me just read this to you, and then we'll close. Paul says to the Corinthians, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, 
Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction, there it is, is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. God says, in light of the future that I have for you that is just around the corner, there is no comparison to any sense of burden you may feel now as you're yoked to me. So let me, let me just suggest a couple of applications. First, and I, and I think foremost, are you, are you yoked to Christ? I mean, wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't it be a heartbreak to spend all of this time in a passage, a few verses, in one chapter in the Bible? That's all to do with God's own invitation to come to Him, just as you are. Wouldn't it be a heartbreak to have done that? those of you who have been here week after week and yet not grab hold of the king's invitation by faith? Have you responded to his invitation? And, and what about those of us who, by God's grace, are, are yoked to him? Is it possible that for some of us... Um, We've forgotten that we're not the strong one. We're not the wise one. We're not the capable one. We're not the one who has it all figured out. And we don't even have to pretend to be so. In fact, it's a bit comical when we do. We're attached to the strong one, the wise one, the capable one who has bought us out of bondage to self in sin and placed a new yoke upon us and we're meant to just remain under that yoke. Amen? All right, that's it. Let, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that you would, you would take this truth from your heart and place it in ours. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding. I pray that by your spirit, Lord, you would um, exercise in our own hearts, our own thinking, these truths that you have put before us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that as a people who love you, Lord, you would do a work in us so that we love you more. Lord, that we would keep our gaze on you in this year that's ahead of us. Lord, that we would remember uh, the gracious king who has called us to himself and has, has condescended for us to be attached to him. And Lord, as we follow you, we'll experience the best life you have for your people. And so we ask you this ultimately, Lord, not for our benefit, but for, for your namesake, for, for your glory in our community. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.